Hi, and welcome to episode 94 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and I'm excited to bring you this episode of my conversation with previous podcast guest, William McKinnon, about his upcoming show with Hugo Michelle Gallery called Learning to Love the Wind. This really was just going to be a brief Zoom chat with a view to making a short video about the show, but it ended up being so interesting that I thought I'd make it into a podcast episode, and so here it is. My previous conversation with Will is episode 38. Um, He's been painting for over 20 years, and if I've calculated correctly, this will be his 19th solo show. And all the paintings we talk about in this episode are also on the website talkingwithpainters.com. For those listening in the future, we recorded this episode in July 2020 and the state of Victoria here in Australia is actually going through a rough patch at the moment with a second wave of coronavirus. So I particularly wanted to send my thoughts and painting energy to all you listeners who are in lockdown for a few more weeks. Hope you're doing okay and that it won't be long before things can get back to the new normal. Will is currently living in Ibiza in Spain, although it so happens he grew up in Victoria. He and his wife, Sunshine Bertrand, welcomed their first child into the world last year, and Lucky's almost one year old. So not only was this body of work done during the COVID crisis, but also while experiencing life as a new parent. Well, thanks for your time today, Will, and uh, congratulations on your upcoming show at Hugo Michel in September. I've seen those works that are going in and they're just sensational. But before we start, we've obviously been living through, you know, one of the most unusual periods of, um, you know, world history with COVID. And you're not in Australia, you're in um, Spain. Can you tell me a bit about, you know, what it's been like for you for the last few months? Yeah, extraordinary times. Um, I heard someone sum it up saying it's kind of like a cross between 1918 with the Spanish flu, um, 68 with the race riots and 1929 with the Great Depression. So, yeah, it's been a um, psychodrama rollercoaster, which I think we're all going through uh, in, ver- in various stages. And even if you're not affected directly health-wise, um, it's, it takes a psychological toll on everyone. Um, and Spain was really hard hit early on and it was, mm. it was terrifying, you know. There was um, yeah. thousands of people falling sick. There's this very unknown, um, this, this novel virus. And, you know, a thousand people plus were dying a day and it was, that was just next door. But the flip side of that is it kind of... It really made you value what was um, important and, and you left behind what wasn't. So, um, yeah, there's this kind of two forces of this mayhem and this, this uncertainty and this fear. And then there was this kind of, we're in this domestic cocoon in a forest and my son Lucky started to crawl yeah, everything felt incredibly vivid and, and I was painting through, throughout this time and I think the, work, the works have absorbed this intensity of this kind of... Mm. Um, I mean, maybe we can talk about this. They're depicting fires, but then also there's these green shoots that are pushing up through the road and, and then actually my son was teething at the, the time and 
interrupted sleep and then their teeth started to appear in the, in the road and so there's two life forces of this kind of um at play that's so interesting well let's well we might as well talk about that that now since that you brought that up uh, that that very interesting idea of like a desolate landscape and that regeneration vividly in a couple of the works that Burke and Wills too and also post-traumatic growth yeah well I think painting has this malleability to absorb so so much of what's going on and for me there's always like a personal history there's a cultural moment and then there's an art historical thread and all those things are kind of interweaving and sparking off each other at best um so yeah and I'm interested in that sort of that nexus between light and dark and and the human spirit and overcoming an example was a year and a half ago, I had a surfing accident, um, which I won't go into to make you squeamish. But I had a big deadline coming up and I just had to work in a completely different way. Instead of going around in a, in a long uh, lap, I'd normally work on maybe um, five to ten paintings simultaneously over like a three-month three period. And that sort of served me very well because I, I, it took the pressure off. I wasn't worried about the whole and making mistakes or um, and it sort of absorbed the complexity of um, time and how one changes and um, there was a sort of openness but I just didn't have the energy to work that way so I started working on a single painting um, and it, it really facilitated like a flow state of um, I worked with increased velocity and uh, unforeseen things happened. The process became more open and then I had to react to that and, and then in a way overcome problems that uh, I'd, I'd created. And it was not the first thing I'd done. It was then that became something I didn't want and then overcoming that opened a door into a totally new pictorial space um, what, and you think, that, you think that wouldn't have happened if you weren't working on one work at a time? Right. It was much more considered and I really kind of knew what I was doing and there wasn't that, that space for improvisation. So that kind of ties to the, neatly to the, the title of the show, Learning to Love the Wind, is it's kind of letting these, these circumstances and influences and forces um, and accepting and accommodating and trying to overcome them. So you're basically saying you're going more with the flow and not sort of uh, battling against it? I think definitely. Um, I think being a painter is actually, it's a mix. I, I call it being, you've got, to be the, you've got to be the player and you've got to be the coach. <laughs> um, so you can... You, you, you know, you're here alone in your studio for months on end and there's, and you have a show once every year or two and you're getting very little feedback. So I think you go in and out of modes. And Matisse describes it very well, saying that, you know, you've got to get into this place of pure instinct and then you've got to watch yourself doing it at the same time. So, so I think it's... Yeah, I have these on and off modes where you're sort of 
um, reflective and trying to steer a course and think, oh, I want to paint faster or thinner or, you know, I've been looking at something, someone, um, and then you go in and then you've got to sort of do it or... Um, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It is being it is being more open, um, but it's not in an airy fairy to see what happens because it's very structured in other ways. So it's not either one or the other. Yeah, right. Well, it's interesting because I was looking um, at your Instagram page, and um, you know, you were talking about one of the paintings, and that it was that that, that you were taking incremental small steps forward. And that was interesting mm. because it made me feel as though you were following where it wanted to take you or, the, or that you were sort of making small, small decisions as you were going along rather than having this grand plan as to how it was going to end up. What, did you, what yeah. do you feel when you say incremental small steps? No, no, you, no absolutely. And it, and it depends on where you are in like the painting cycle in, like a, in terms of a year or in terms of a body of work that often at the start of that sort of cycle I mean it's such it's like concrete boots and uh, there is no flow Um, and that's when it is incremental steps and my friend talks about a battle of inches and I just know that if I can be in here for you know four to six hours and within a week things will be moving but there at times it is just incremental steps and it's um just moving it ever so slightly forward and gathering the pieces it's almost like a detective and or maybe the materials or maybe it's cleaning things and um i think the other thing to say is about incremental steps is one work really leads to two more that you sort of are following that and it's bringing up all these possibilities and you can't explore them all um, and I've described it before as paintings like driving through a foggy night and that you, you can see the next step, but you can't really see beyond that. But as long as you follow that trajectory, you, you get to the end. But what is that end? That end is new possibilities. And mm-hmm. when, the, when painting's really alive... Um, then that's the next that's the next painting and it, it's a, like a baton passing and I I think the, the longer I do this the more I can see that sort of sacred thread that f- passes from one painting to the next and that's the sort of creative um, yeah like a thread is a good way to look at it that really needs to be mm. nourished and pr- protected and I've got a whole lot of strategies around that now um, yeah, what sort of strategies? Well, one, uh, one really, one game changer I learned from Richard Lua, who's a, a friend and a, and was a mentor, and uh, and he he would finish deadlines like three months before a show, and uh, I'm like, what's this about? And and I've I've, I've, take, I've taken that on, and that's it's really been a game changer because um, it takes the pressure off. So you can yeah. you work in a totally different way, um, and energetically painting, you're, you're putting a tremendous amount out. And I would find I'd finish a body of work, and I would have a, a massive dip. And that's about when you're going into a, you know, 
the whole meeting the the public kind of working with your gallerist um, promotion interviews, and I just feel absolutely, you know, like a, a empty soil and depleted, and it was so hard. Um, whereas now, at any stage, I can I can take time off or to exercise or to recharge, and yeah, I really see it like soil. Uh, the creativity is like, and you've got to nourish that soil, and there's a whole lot of stuff mm. I do around that. Um, but now, when I finish a show, like Hugo's show, I, I sent, I maybe finished two months ago, um, takes a long time to send, but then I just keep working. Um, and then I'm not even thinking about the next deadline. It's following the work. So it's an in, intrinsic motivation rather than external one, um, which is also much more satisfying. I've I found shows were going really well and then you kind of feel flat and you think, what's this all about? So it's kind of shift, shifting the motivation and, um, yeah, keeping that little... That, that, that candle, that thread, and also not coming back to an empty studio. I keep a work back, a key work, which might be the outlier, which signals a new direction, and just have this lovely, slow continuity. Yeah. And so with, with this show, was there an outlier that, that you know, was uh, the signal for this show? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, th- I think um, it's probably... There's, there's two quite odd works. Um, I think the new families and yeah. post-traumatic growth. I mean, they feel like a, a seam of gold that you could just I could excavate for a couple of years, you know. And that's not always the case. They just it feel, yeah. And I've already started working in that in those two directions. Um, right. Well, let's let's talk about the new family because that mm. that is an amazing painting. Thank you. It's basically uh, two large trees which which sort of are on the either side of the canvas and they frame this distant sort of field mm. if I can explain mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. that can you tell me a bit about that it's, I mean it's uh, the the title is really interesting the new family and I don't know if that coincides with your having you know your first child but um can you tell me a bit about that painting yeah so the trees are like they come from a, a an um a source with a lot of meaning to me. I've got a, a far, um, farming background on my father's side and my two brothers are still farming in Western Victoria and there are these magnificent red gums that are like five or 600 years old that I remember as a, as a jackaroo and um, really it, it, each one is an absolute character and full of sort of biomorphic forms and and they do this thing where they, they fall down and they look like an uprooted and then they'll, they'll reshoot and regrow. So I think this is what I'm trying to do. In a way, my work is becoming simpler. It, that I'm using th- motifs like trees and roads, but in other ways, it seems to be becoming more complex through using s- simple symbols. So within the new family that started when I returned to Australia last year as we do every summer and with all the expectation and then you get the complexity of staying with family Um, (laughs) you know I I love them all dearly but someone said um, 
if you think you're enlightened, go and stay with your family. (laughs) (laughs) So, and you know, it's my my wife's Australian, and it's um, we will end up back in Australia. It's always it's a complex time, you know, Christmas um, and and reconciling living in two places. So, um, yeah, so using the tree, it's 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 bringing up stuff about siblings, about um, parents, about where you come from. And in a way, it's like all these branches are competing for light and there's, there's severed limbs, there's trauma, there's, and there's stuff that happened in the painting. Like there's, it looks almost like a fetus in one, one trunk. Um, and, and, the, and the tree started screaming um, it, the, where the, the branches were severed. They became like this kind of void so yeah i think it's it's about family dynamics about finding enough light enough oxygen enough space and that's something you you navigate as a young parent as well or not a young parent as a new parent who's not that young (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting and also i mean talking about parenting another one of your works um which is uh called uh foggy brain teething that leads me to talk about that recurring motif that you was you referred to, which was the, is the road, mm. um, and it's fascinating to me these roads. I love them because they're so um, they're not really a road that you would norm- normally see in real life. I mean, they've got mm. they've, they've, there's cracks, there's potholes, there's uh, signage that you wouldn't normally see, um, steel grating that is in unlikely places, and uh, and it, it gives a very unsettling feeling i feel you know mm. particularly when it's when it's combined with a night scene you know which uh, there's several of those in this work can you tell me a bit of, more about the role of of the road in your works well i think the first thing to say say is they're complete constructions these places don't exist they're they're um all those things you described the the cracks the drains the bins you know they're, they're they're stand-ins for emotional states and I mean I've called them in the past psychological landscapes that um, this is like a the sum of decisions and you know what it feels like to be in the world the things that you're kind of navigating and feeling um it's 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 kind of it's difficult to talk about the work because in a way, what I'm trying to do is, um, yeah, it doesn't come from a cerebral um, language place. It's not the illustration of a thesis that this open process I'm describing in the making is very real, and um, it's kind of, it's a different part of the brain. Right, you're there, and um, this this stuff is happening day to day, and it's over a long period of time. So to kind of um, reorganise it in a in a language sense is is complicated. Well, that's right. Visual imagery shouldn't have to be explained in words. Yeah, and and, and in a way, another way to look at it is it's a it is a way of thinking. Yeah. You know, um, the making, the doing. Um, of, yeah. of you know what it is and what it feels like to be in the world today 
Well, that's what I hope. Yeah. That's what I hope I'm doing. Definitely. For on on another aspect of that of the road, um, from a sort of a painter's point of view and composing a painting, I would have thought that the road must be a very useful um, shape to use in a work. In, indeed, it, it is a it's a very useful device, and it's. And it's so malleable, like uh, the roads I'm doing now are, are so different to 15 years ago. And I love that actually. And I love that about repetition is it, uh, some people think, oh, why would you repeat something? But if you repeat something, then you have to innovate because you can't just do the same thing. So it's, I think that's a really complex and fascinating nexus. Well, the, that Burke and Wills painting is quite... Um uh, amazing! It's it's huge. It's like it's it's a triptych, and it's four and a half meters long. Which mm-hmm. I, I should point out actually that these works are large, and that's you do usually work in 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 that way. And I did want to talk about that aspect of things because, well, there's often a lot of elements in these works. Like the Birken Wheels is it's like a desert landscape, but with. Um, regenerating would you say regenerating plants yeah actually my mum Catherine Haddam who's an artist she described it as being both minimal with lots of detail and I think that's a good description it's because it's overall there's a lot of raw linen and then it's a it's quite a limited palette there's a lot of black but within the black there's this there's tiny details of um, gr- green pick after the fire and then there's detailed boab trees with a couple of cars um, which r- represent Bur- Birkin Wills. Ah, oh, so it is a reference particularly to that story. Yeah, well it's about kind of adventure and folly mm. which is also about painting um, it's not just about them but yeah, it's, it's like I was talking about the, the um, interweaving between personal history um, and cultural history. Mm. And do you find, like getting back to that idea of the scale of the work, do you find that um, because there are so many things going on in that painting, you need that scale in order to create these works or is it, or is it the other way around? Yeah, look, I think it, it comes back to the obstacle, like having working on that scale um, it's the most complex thing to do as a painter I think you need to to, to make something work you know it needs to work um, in terms of moving your eye around it needs to work as a whole um, and they need to breathe I think that's it's an important thing I think in painting is to have areas of of calm and then areas of intensity. So, I mean, I've tried making smaller paintings, but they, they seem to get a bit, they, they lose something, that, lose some, mm. some of that balance or that um, counterpunch. Yeah, well, that, wor- that work we're talking about, it does have like about a third of it is very uh, minimal, as your mum sort of refers mm. to. It's, it's, it's like a, a sandy desert. And interestingly, uh, doesn't have a horizon in it. Which is, yeah. It's a bit more of an aerial sort of feeling, isn't it? That's interesting. You pick up on that, and then the subsequent paintings, they are all on the picture plane. They don't have any receding space. Is that something new for you? Yeah. I think that I've had a sort of 
a very shallow picture space, which is almost like a um, pop-up book or a, or a sandwich where, I mean, I love flatness and then playing with um, shallow depth and what is on top of what, and which is ultimately the game painting has played for a long time, right? You know, it creates space and then it sort of, but we know it's, it's on this this one plane um, mm. but they yeah they seem to the last couple have got they're all on the surface well you know what I found really interesting is that to me these landscapes are still very strongly reminiscent of Australia oh and, um, for sure and and it's interesting because you haven't lived here for a few years now. I mean, you've come back for, to visit family, but you've been in Spain for a few years. Do you feel that that landscape that you live in there is creeping in at all or do you still feel as though it's really... Um, you're, you're referencing the Australian landscape? Predominantly the Australian landscape. You know, this is where I was formed and these are very deep roots. Um, and... I think you can sort of drink from that well for, for a lifetime, you know, it's, and maybe it gets stronger, mm. you know. Nolan was painting the river bend in Putney and, um, yeah, I think these, these, these formative times um, which shape you, like the time I spend in Central Australia and the Kimberley, um, Western Victoria and... You know, it's it's a landscape of longing, and and I think this time also, you know, this show I see is about home, whatever that means, and family. The other, th- I was watching, um, I was watching some video on Instagram actually um, of you painting when the one where you were lying on the floor and you were painting the bottom, (laughs) the bottom of the painting. I thought, gee, that's really uncomfortable. Anyway, Mm. but it made me realize because you were using quite a small brush Mm. and it was very detailed work. And that's one of the interesting things about your work. They're very large, but the detail is really detailed. Mm. So, uh, I could imagine that it's an intensive process. Yeah, detailed, empty. I like all that. All that's bringing all that to sort of play, and that's something about the scale as well as it kind of draws you right into these these tiny little cracks and things happening and petrol stains and drips and um, and then the scale pushes you back out again and and you can't take it all in in one go. It is that like like being in the world. It's an experiential kind of. Thing about perception and um, and if they're really successful, that never stops, and that's the kind of what you ultimately want to get to is is a painting that kind of that interplay of taking you in, pushing you out, and not being able to take it all in at once um, is why it's so compelling to live with something like that. Hopefully, definitely. Well, that's how I found uh, when I saw went to Sydney Contemporary last year. And I saw your work there with Jan Murphy Gallery. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, that those works as well. And, and they're quite different from these works because they were a little bit more, uh, I mean, there were swimming pools. It was mm. more of a suburban feeling as well. Mm. Um, and I really, I, I really enjoy those works that you've got as well because there's, in a way, they've got that less, a less sort of feeling of 
abandonment in a way. Hmm. I mean, these, these works, you feel like there's, there's people have been there, but they, don't, they didn't really want to be there and they've gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and quite possibly perished. <laughs> exactly. Well, Burke and Wills particularly. Mm. Um, whereas those, you know, some of your other works, there'll be lights in homes, mm. that the, the light is emanating from a warm home, which is more of an, uh, a sort of warmer sort of feeling, I would say. Um, so I really enjoy with your work, there is, a, you know, there is a, sometimes a, there's a contrast between these different types of uh, landscapes. Yeah, well, I think we're in a very fortunate period post Richter, um, who really broke it open, and uh, artists like Wilhelm Sasnall, and, you know, you, you can do anything. Um, and the way he, if you look at Atlas, you know, he was making abstract paintings and photorealist paintings and abstract paintings. And, um, I mean, happily, I've formed very slowly as an artist and have had incremental success. And so... I feel like my work's got a breadth, a breadth and a depth. Um, yeah, I, feel, I really feel for artists that kind of, you know, made it big with one series and then have have been pressured for whatever reason or, um, by the market or themselves, or they just haven't um, had the freedom to to fuck up in lots of different directions and make discoveries. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that charges the work to sort of to move from one pole to the next, and um, and I think that's it's a bit it's a big thing when you're painting over uh, you know decades is how do you how do you keep it fresh, and that is a key thing um, which you're going to live or die by. And how do you think you do that? Well, I think. Um, you have strategies where, like for me, it's 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 time. It's time to explore. It's time um, to experiment, and that, that's what I was talking about. Having getting ahead of deadlines, so you're not painted into a corner, just trying to keep up. And it gets back to the soil thing. I think it's kind of being in the studio and then out of the studio, looking at things, reading. Um, and for me, it's a methodology of saying basically there are no mistakes, that actually mistakes are the way forward, which gets back to the time thing that if you see that mistake as a, as a bridge or um, just part of the thread and that to have a, you know, a strong work ethic and you just keep working and to trust in the process that something interesting is going to come out. Yeah. Do you think... Um do you think being out of Australia gives you a certain type of freedom as well? Yeah, I think so. It's, um, I mean, it's it's a real head game. Just, it's, it's kind of nice to be out of the art world. Like I, I, I like it. I, I see it as an ecosystem. They're my peers, friends, colleagues. But I also like being in the world. And um, I think Nick Cave put it a good way. He was like. You know, he lives in Brighton, but he says, look, I'm Australian, you know, and his music is, it's so, he's created his own genre, but it's so Australian through and through. And yeah. not that I'd put myself in the same territory, but I like that way of looking at being in the world, that it's, um, you are who you are. And he came from Wodonga and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's uh, it's it's um, individual, but he's part. He's nested in an Australian culture within a in a world context, and um, yeah, the Balearic Islands are kind of interesting because you've got you've got a lot of space, um, and what really works for for us. My my wife's um, a fashion designer, and she. We're connected to Europe, to ideas, and to an economy, and we, we we tap into that and juice up and see terrific stuff. But then you come back and you have this sort of sanctuary to be creative, and um, that that seems to work really well. I've, I've found it difficult in the past, like living and working in London, and you're just sort of surrounded by the weight of art, art history, and um, literally thousands of people trying to make it and grinding and mm. yeah the um this is like a yeah a haven and a terrific it's not what people think of Ibiza like we live in a forest near the ocean um very quiet and and peaceful very simple life it's like a rural sort of coastal life but without the isolation, there's kind of a nice trickle of people through and you can connect to major European centres when, when you need it. But it, it's like I was talking about earlier, the on and off thing. Um, and I think that's also what keeps you fresh is to, to go and be stimulated, but then to come back and then and just to work and to follow the work. I think that's, I, I would say, is... Painting is about um, there's a mysterious element and then there's a work ethic element and there's discovery and there's consolidation. So I think it's these two modes which the player, the player and the coach, you know. Yeah, right. And tell me, because um, I often ask, I, I ask uh, female artists about being becoming a mother and you know how it's affected their. Uh, practice, but of course, you know you. I've noticed, you know, on Instagram, you're a very hands-on dad. Um, it's your first child. What has it had much of an impact? It changed your practice at all? Um, I think it makes you more efficient. Like you kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nothing. Ex- I mean, it it sort of changes your whole orientation, right? You know, just how you are in the world. Um, I mean, I didn't expect expect to enjoy it so much and just that feeling of love and just to have that in your life is tremendous and Mm. look I think stability is a is a is a big deal like we have a very harmonious domestic kind of and good things come out of that um I did I have actually made a couple of portraits of um sunshine and lucky and we might hopefully see one in the Archibald but Let's see if that happens. Yeah, right. I um, hope so. Yeah, I, I made some experimental works towards the end of last year about, yeah, like bottle feeding Lucky uh, and my wife breastfeeding these sort of collages. And I'd like to revisit that like once I get through the next body of work. Yeah, well, you were you were um, a finalist in the Archibald um, in 2018 with a great self-portrait. What was that experience like? I think it was the first time you've become you've been Archibald finalist. That's right. Yeah, I think because you're um, not you're not usually known for your portraiture, really. So no, uh, no, that was interesting. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is the prize that has a massive reach. And I thought what Ben Quilty said in your interview was salient, that, you know, you, you've got your work in front of really major people in the art world um, and a huge audience. I mean, I think the, the audience for the Archibald at the Geelong Regional Gallery was as big as I'd get for the rest of the year. It was something like... Yeah, so it, yeah, it's not surprising. It yeah. does have a massive, a massive reach. Um, yeah, and I think that and the win, the win prize and it is. Well, that's a right. You were a finalist in the win the same year as well with a magnificent painting. I oh, love that you. painting. I think it had glitter on it as well, didn't it? Yeah, there's, <laughs> I love a, the way you can you throw glitter in there. It's not too much. A little bit of glitter. <laughs> No, and I'm mindful, you know, living overseas and um, I really want to stay connected to Australian audience and, you know, I show in Brisbane and Adelaide and, yeah, they, they have a big presence, but it is, it is I don't know, it, maybe it's not so much the case, but it, it did feel like Sydney and Melbourne were kind of uh, quite different markets and not showing in either place. Um, it's important to have, have a presence. And also, yeah, to, I mean, I would love to be in some more institutions and this is a way of directly getting your work in front of the director and the curators. So I think what Ben Quilty said is, is very wise, you know. It's put your best foot forward and it's a lottery, but... Have a go. Yeah. Well, good luck with the with the Archibald. I'm hoping to see see them on the walls. Oh, thanks, uh, Maria. And thanks for your time today. Uh, it was Thank just you. absolutely brilliant catching up again with you and seeing you on Zoom. It's great. You feel like you're here. Um, and um, yeah, looking forward to your show with Hugo Michelle. Thanks so much, Maria. It's great what you're doing. Really enjoying the podcast. So great catching up with Will McKinnon, such a great painter. I'll be getting that video up onto the website and on Instagram and Facebook in a few weeks, so watch out for that. I'm also catching up with other videos of the last few podcast guests, so you might notice those coming up on social media and on the website in the meantime. Thanks to everyone also who has been rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, which is making a big difference to people finding out about the show. I'll be back again in a few weeks with another conversation with one of Australia's great painters. So thanks for listening and hope you can join me then for the next episode of Talking With Painters. It's very important to, to really dig down into the sort of bones of what's making something really work and to sort of hone in on... It's almost like the production values, like what is making that painting successful and then really honing in and kind of thrashing that out to its best iteration.